Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Hey, and look at that. We're back again. Another episode of EMS on the Mountain. Yeah, Mike's dancing for us. Yeah, man. So once again, I just you told got... you I'm recording video, so you got to you know, get the swerve on. Yeah, that's <laughs> as swerve as you got, dude. Yeah, buddy. That's, I'm not very suave. Yeah, so you've got no rhythm. Let's be honest. No. This actually, I might just make the decision right now. Hot take live. Here we go. This will be the first episode on the YouTubes. Yay. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Appreciate the uh, dressed as a hobo here. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. That's all right. I look like I belong in the woods because I do. Yeah, and I don't. Anyway. All right. So today is going to be our first episode in what we're going to call our Gear We Use series. So this will be planned right now, three episodes, which is what we're uh, probably going to stick to. This could grow if we get some user feedback. We might add stuff later. Uh, with that, we're going to give one caveat. Um, neither Mike nor I nor the podcast or the agencies we work for are sponsored by any brands we may or may not mention. We have some preferred brands that he and I both are big fans of that we use a lot of. And we do not necessarily endorse them, nor do we condemn anybody else's gear or equipment. We're just speaking of our personal experiences, what we like to use, what we carry, etc. So if you don't hear which a brand that you like or you're wearing, that's cool. We're not saying it's bad. We're not saying the stuff we wear is the best. So just keep that in mind. And again, no sponsorships. So we have no conflict of interest there. Uh, we're just talking about the stuff we have. And with that, today's episode is going to be just personal gear. Episode number two, we'll be talking more about backpacks, medical bags, et cetera. It'll probably be the one most people are going to want to hear about. And our last episode we plan, number three, is going to be other miscellaneous kit that we think you should consider carrying, stuff we do carry, other things that might be of use to you in a backcountry wilderness EMS environment. With that, we'll get on with personal gear. So when we talk about this, this is predominantly for backcountry use. A lot of the gear, personal gear especially, that we have finds itself being worn in uh, front country duties as well for staff in the ambulance or responding in the campgrounds or things like that, primary visitor areas, not necessarily down trail. So keep that in mind. This is not your cotton job shirt that you're wearing at the Urban Ambulance Agency. The stuff we're talking about is very specific to going down trail and backcountry work. Today's discussion, we're going to be talking, basically, we're going to work inside out, those layers closest to the body, going to the outside. And as a got a couple of notes here, the obligatory cotton kills statement. So for anybody, yeah, Mike's laughing, right? So if you're not a backcountry kind of person and you've never heard this statement, there's a mantra within the outdoor community, cotton kills, right? And it comes from the fact that, and this is really applies to, we'll say traditional mountainous alpine type terrain. Whereas if you're wearing cotton based layers, they do not dry. Right? They're very comfortable. They absorb a lot of sweat and water, but they don't dry, which means if you're in a cold environment, especially, you stay wet, which means you stay cold. Uh, if you remember our hypothermia stuff, talking about evaporative processes and how people get colder. So cotton can be one of those contributing things. Uh, so you can always kind of tell how avid an outdoorsman somebody is, you know, if they're cruising down trail and they're Levi's and a lot of cotton type stuff. It's They're not very outdoorsy. Yeah, they're they're truly part-time recreationalist. Now, in most instances, That's, it's not, yeah. it's not a big deal, right? Let's be honest. You're yeah. out there for your day hike in a normal 
state, local, national park somewhere, wearing your Levi's and a cotton t-shirt is you're not going to die, right? So let's, let's just get over that. But what we're talking about is really for our professional responder folks, you should be dressed more appropriately. I will say <clears throat> cotton's great stuff. If you're working in the desert, good, right? Because keeping that extra moisture next to your body for the extra evaporative cooling is a good thing. Cotton in a tropical jungle environment, while not necessarily a negative because it'll just stay wet, will also just stay wet and can lead you down the path of other like infectious skin diseases and such. And I think that's enough on that. And those All are right? gross. Yeah, and those can be gross if you've never had any of those. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to go down that hole. So Yeah. I, you do you, boo. Yeah. That's, that's your life, not mine. Yeah. So, it, the, yeah. And again, at the end of the day, as Mike just noted, right? Hey, this is you. If you want to wear cotton into the woods, by all means, go for it. So. I do not. Me neither, generally. Right? Mm-hmm. So, first layer, for us, we have an agency-specific SAR t-shirt we normally wear over that. If we're hanging out in the front country, it might be the issued polo shirt because we look all cool. If not, then on top of that, depending on the weather, we've also got some, some beautiful insulating layers depending on the time of year. But when we go back country, we switch out of that polo and we put on what many of you will now know as a combat shirt. Basically yeah. got a moisture wicking torso section and the upper yoke and arms are built out of a more traditional, normally like a poly nylon or nylon cotton blend yep. for sleeves and such for durability and protection. It's probably worth note, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, we've, we've adopted over the years a lot of military-esque, I don't know, military is not the right term, but public service equipment as opposed to backcountry trail equipment. And the combat shirt that Sean's talking about is the quintessential definition of such. Hmm. They're actually designed for people wearing plate carriers. Yeah. So the torso is, is made out of a wicking more comfortable material, but we actually adopted them a few years ago because it turns out the durability of the sleeves and the shoulder area provides for protection from sliding on rocks, being in the outdoors in general. But if you have a chest rig on along with a backpack, you don't want all of that extra protection or uh, durability, so to speak. You want to be able to breathe, especially in the summer. Yeah. So I think it was actually on a whim that I ordered some for us. Yeah, and it turns it out that they have been by far the best, best piece of apparel decision making we've made in a while, right? We've tried a lot of different button down backcountry shirts, t-shirts, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is your arms are exposed when you're laying on the rock next to a patient or you're trying to get a Stokes out of the way. But wearing a heavier duty shirt, a, a more generic work shirt or a Carhartt shirt, like we've tried all kinds of things. And it turns out that that gets very hot very quick and you don't want to be wearing it. So using a combat style shirt has afforded us the protection of, of our arms with the comfort and the wicking capabilities of the shirt on the torso, which is why we wear those. Yeah. And it, it's perfect. Yeah. It provides because Mike and I both exposure to the sun will burn us. Mike yeah. a little faster than me. But I'm, I'm, I'm a hot mess, man. So yeah, but we used to straight go in and just our SAR t-shirts and then yeah, we'd come back with scraped up arms and sunburns from being out in the hot sun with patients all day. Yeah, and these combat shirts turned out to be a really good thing. Yeah, we Mike brought in, I think, one a piece. Yeah. And after our first couple of rescues, it was like, yep, these are cool. And we bought more. So, yeah, they're not cheap, but they're worth it. No, they are not cheap, but they are definitely worth it. Big fans of, of what we've got. Yeah. And I'll put another caveat in there. So, folks that listen to this, if you want to know specific brands, if we don't mention it on certain things, shoot us a message on social media or email us at the show, and we'll be happy to 
answer some of the questions we have, but we're not necessarily going to advertise every manufacturer we use out there. I right can't think the of all of them off the top of my head. Yeah. So just FYI, if you're interested, let us know and we'll figure out what it is we've got and we'll let you know. So then with that, pretty standard, uh, our agency wants us to wear, actually Mike and I kind of self-imposed it, traditional EMS navy blue pants. Uh, I think I stick with 511 for the most part. And I think Mike has worked. Mike's, Mike's got several brands. Yeah, I, <laughs> I tend to buy a lot of gear. Yeah. I'm wearing first tactical pants right now. Uh, that's who uh, it is. They've kind of come along as the primary competitor to 511. Uh, it's also what I wear in my, my more urban agency. So I just kind of, I think Sean does the same thing. Like we just, we sort of rotate our pants from the brand new ones get to live on the front country truck for a little bit. And then in the back country, you get the slightly more beat up pants that might yeah. have couple of bleach stains or whatever from from cleaning equipment because in general i go through i don't know i think in what the the decade or so we've been doing this i probably go through three or four pair of pants a season or at least every two seasons just in abrasions worn out knees things like that so if you're uh, let's say i average burning down about two pair of pants a season in the backcountry that seems about right they don't all get pitched right away but there's I have the pile of pants that are more beat up and probably only good for the backcountry. And then the, the front country pants where I actually want to look like an adult and a more professional provider. So. Yeah. And again, most of these, I think all of ours are that poly cotton type blend or ripstop type material. So not a straight full cotton pant uh, does provide some strength. And 511 does still make a full cotton pant. Um, I have never owned any, probably never will own any for various reasons, not just because they're cotton, but. Uh, I will say that between Mike and I, we will both also tell you that whatever pants I use for backcountry work must also have an integrated knee pad pocket. Mm -hmm. At my age, kneeling on the hard ground hurts. So if I can't shove in even a simple set of the neoprene knee pads, like that's basically what I use because I like them. They're light, they're flexible. Then basically I I don't like to use those pants. So if they don't have that knee pad pocket, I'm not putting them on going backcountry because I mean, let's be honest, not everywhere is going to be a soft, grassy field that you're going to have to take a knee or get on your knees next to your patient and do work. Most often for us, it's a trail, it's rocks, it's, it's other places. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've got to have the knee pad pocket. Yeah, I've adopted the same mentality. My knees aren't quite as bad as the old man here, but uh, I do very much appreciate, especially if it's wet, which in the mid-Atlantic, it's always kind of moist <laughs> under the tree canopy. Mm-hmm. Moist. Um, you just, you don't want wet knees if you're out there for 11 hours, whatever the case may be. I don't you think know. I'm worried about wet knees so much as bruised knees. Uh, you're, it, well, that's because <laughs> you're, you need to protect those old knees of yours. But This uh, is true. It's just better to have knee pads. Like the world is better with knee pads in. Yeah. All right. And so. JB is going to catch that one. I'm going to get a note now. Yeah, you will. Yeah. God bless him. Our number yep. one fan. Number one fan. So, um, whether. Ladies and gentlemen, your undergarments, I'd strongly recommend moisture wicking as well. Yeah. Especially depending on where you work, the environment might kind of dictate that that's really, really a good idea. Otherwise, you're going to learn the hard way that cotton is not good for you, uh, nether regions and such. Yeah. Uh, Down onto socks, I'm sure Mike and I are both in strong agreement here as we'll probably just about everybody in the world who does a lot of actual serious backcountry work, and that's merino wool socks, right? So. I mean, we're not going to talk about socks. You can pick any number of brands that are out there. Just buy good socks, wear good socks. 
socks make your feet happy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, backcountry work boots. Mike and I both wear, I'd say, probably a mid-level hiking boot. Neither of us wear anything too terribly light. We don't wear any heavier weight mountaineering or alpine big boots. But make sure your footwear fits well. It's comfortable. You're on your feet for a long time. You may or may not be carrying a lot of weight with them. And depending on your terrain, some of the lighter weight footwear, stepping on even the small rocks, you'll start to notice after a while. So I prefer a good mid-weight hiking boot as opposed to a heavier weight backpacking boot kind of thing. But that's me. I know a lot of guys that still like to wear very lightweight stuff. Some people I know wear like trail running shoes. That's not me. Uh, yeah, you got to have a certain level of ankle support, especially with the amount of weight we're carrying. But I too wear relatively lightweight. I don't know. I own a number of pairs of boots. Solomon's makes good boots. But generally, I've moved away from the all leather or the heavy duty boot. Yeah. I want something that's slightly more flexible that wears more. There's been this whole move in the last five years to have tacta boots or more tennis shoe like style boots. And I'm actually a big fan of that move. A uh, number of companies are making them, but I want something that's still going to provide ankle support. Gore Tex or moisture protection for puddles and moisture yeah, oh and yeah. such is an absolute necessity. But the traditional, and I guess they aren't that traditional anymore. It just makes me feel old um, yeah. <laughs> or sound old. But the, the all leather boot thing, oh, yeah. my jam. You wear them sometimes, but they're no, not I don't my have- jam. My last all leather pair I retired several Did years you? ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I, I, I wore them out and uh, did not replace them. Decided uh, that was the end of that era? Nah, just there's only, well, there's several companies that still make good all leather boots. But one, it's kind of a weight thing if you don't want to have the big full leather backpacking boots. Yeah. Um, but in our environment, I like something that's a little more all season use. And I found the all leathers were a little warmer especially in the summer months. I like the, you know, like suede nylon blend mm-hmm. on my uppers. Just it breathes a little better, even with the Gore-Tex, a little more comfortable. And like you said, a little more flexible. So, and with a good pair of leather boots, there's a, can be a very extensive break-in period. And I kind of like to just get my boots warm around for a couple of days and then be able to move off into the woods if I need to. So, yeah, same here, sir. Same here. All right. So that basically covers that first layer of clothing that we're wearing in the backcountry, if it's cold, Mike and I both fleece beanies or something to that effect. Usually it's a ball cap, keeping the sun off, absorbing a little bit of sweat. Front country, I always wear a ball cap in the summer months just so I don't drip sweat all over my patients as I'm trying to do work. It's more of a courtesy than as a, I need it for anything. But I like wearing ball caps. Mike and I just something we wear all the time. You know, yeah, keep the sun off your eyes and stuff. So, And keep the sun off the head. So some general principles. Now that we've talked about some of our first layer stuff, think about your moisture wicking or heat management. Uh, we're going to get into our mid-layer stuff here in the next section, so stand by for that. Do you want synthetic versus natural stuff? You know, that cotton versus synthetic shirts. Like Some people do not like the synthetic like undershirts, the moisture wicking shirts. Their skin kind of reacts to that. I won't say a full allergic reaction, but it causes them to get rashes and chafe a little easier than if they were to wear. Like a, They make some cotton blend moisture wicking shirts they're not as good as this full synthetics but they're out there so something to consider durable right so if you're just wearing a synthetic t-shirt into the backcountry if you're working in some of the environments mike and i do those t-shirts mike and i have some really torn up sar t-shirts from yeah they're they're gonna get abused brushed up against those rocks pulling threads out things like that so it's your kit generally needs to be durable same thing with like the pants the knees or on the butt sliding down rocks 
and protective. Again, I kind of put that one back with good footwear and my ability to put in knee pads, right? Yeah. And protect like just from the sun and general weather exposure. Any other thoughts on our just base layer stuff, Mike? No, I mean, we've, <laughs> it's going to sound a little silly, but we've covered the foundation, right? Cotton yeah. kills, wear pants, right? That's a good <laughs> idea. I guess it's worth saying just for the, the purpose of clarity that, uh, trail pants like the nylon hiking pants and you will mm. see a lot of SAR teams rock these things and there's yeah. nothing wrong with them yeah until you get into extended rescues and then you realize real quick that like traditional trail pants are gonna i'll just say it, they're gonna eat shit in about one or two rescues yeah no that's a true story the minute you get off trail the minute you have to bushwhack the minute you have to scramble or crawl over things as a regular right and rescue often involves things like getting people out of crevasses they fell into or <laughs> slots or rocks. Or if you're doing rope work, there's a lot of time on your knees moving around, rigging anchors and such. You know, we, this isn't a, a, a rope rescue episode, so to speak, but you don't spend a lot of time rigging anchors at standing height. <laughs> right. So, right. So the minute you're, you end up down rigging anchors near the ground, bases of trees, whatever the case may be, putting in rock pro, you're, you're on your knees a lot. And that's yeah. when these pants suddenly don't handle the abuse. So yeah. from a, especially from a volunteer, a new person getting into this, you know, if you work for an agency, you're going to have issued equipment. You're kind of going to be expected to wear the uniform of choice, the uniform du jour, so to speak. But a lot of search and rescue teams are still volunteers, still a lot of self-funded stuff. Like you can wear trail pants. I see, I've seen it for 15 years. Yep. People show up and they're in trail pants and they're like, oh, this isn't so great. So skip the trail pants thing, move on to more durable purpose built. either, you know, you can go the Carhartt route if you want to, if you want to abuse yourself and get chafing everywhere <laughs> or anything with a gusseted crotch, a little bit more durable material, material heavier weight in the fabric, heavier weight. Yeah. Yeah. 5'11", first tactical. There's a bunch of companies that make pants like that. You can go, I mean, if you want to go bougie, if you're like the, the rich guy, uh, I can't think of the actor now that flies SAR missions in his helicopter. Is it Harrison Ford? I can't remember. But if you're like the bougie helicopter, cool, there's an actor out west that like he flies helicopters for fun and he does local search and rescue work. Anyway, if you yeah. got all the money in the world, you can hit Tad Gear or one of those bougie companies. There's some other yeah. companies that make like five, six hundred dollar pairs of pants. Oh, yeah. You can get pants for yeah several hundred yeah. dollars from um, or the other option. Quite honestly, there are some companies that make pants and apparel for welders or metal workers. Mm. Those typically, they're not cheap, either metalworking type pants or arborist type apparel. Mm. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, some arborist pants out there as well, just because they're made for being flexible yeah. and durable because you're in yeah. trees. So, okay, enough about my pants. <laughs> All right, then. Mike loves his pants. He does. I do love pants. I this love guy goes, Yeah, he loves pants like I love backpacks. Yeah. Well, you'll find out in a couple of weeks, but I've got a new backpack. <laughs> oh, Lord. We'll be talking about it. Anyway. Shocker. I don't like mine, so I got to find a new one. Yeah. So, yeah. so, all right. So next we're going to talk about our mid-weight layers. Really, this is your first layer of insulating materials, right? So when it starts to get cold, general rule of thumb, you should always have at least one decent mid-weight layer in your pack. Even if it's August, you're in a generally warm environment. You just never know when you're going to want that, be able to pull out that nice fleece top and throw that on late night, warm yourself up a little bit. A lot of places get colder than you think they are, especially when, at night. When the big ball of heat in the sky goes yeah. down, it gets colder. So this is just one of those. It's kind of like falling back on the 10 essentials, right? This is just something I think that every responder should have in their 
backpack, you should just have at least one lightweight, midweight layer in there at all times. We actually get issued, uh, well, one item. The uh, place we work with, their OR, Outdoor Research. It's a nice grid fleece top. That's the one I just keep in my pack. It's handy. Balls up pretty small. It's light, but it's a good piece of kit. I like having that in there. Now, Mike and I, we're not going to lie. If you've ever seen us, you're going to think we have a boatload of money because we wear a lot of Arcteryx Leaf products. We are both huge fans of Arcteryx. All they of just our, make good kit, man. Well, yeah, especially the Leaf line, which is a little more durable than their, what we'll call the civilian line. Although getting Leaf is now a process. Yeah. Now you've got to be a mill agency. So <laughs> Right. So that may change uh, our opinion on things, but yeah, well. Yeah, we both, also, I know, bought up a lot of kit before that happened. So yeah, it's also worth note that if you're, and again, this this is probably going to become harder moving forward. But if you're attempting to adhere to a uniform standard, all of the traditional wilderness, I don't, you know, whoever it is, all of the yeah. outdoor gear manufacturers, they have seasonal changes just like yeah. any other clothing. But we used to wear red shirts. Yep. Uh, there's actually another agency we know of, and we were talking with one of the their leaders, and he was like, "Yeah, the." The color of red, when we try to find gear, changes year over year over year. If you find a more public service related or military focused color, now the color paths, the color ways are not going to be as as diverse. But quite frankly, if you're buying a pro line or a military line piece of apparel and you're looking to have a uniform standard, you can pretty much bank on the fact the colors are going to be the same year over year. If you're buying completely like hitting the REI, finding the apparel thing, the colors are going to change you over year. So if you're trying to maintain a uniform standard, it can be harder if you're not using purpose-built equipment. And that's, and like two great examples are red and yellow. <laughs> They're never right? the same. So a lot of blue stuff, you can find in pretty standard bluish colorways. Most places. Now, again, most places, again, Mike said, and this is a perfect, great point, right? Those change slightly year over year. New models come in, they change up the colorway, and it's like, oh crap, I really needed a new jacket or a new base layer or something and they don't make that anymore but you'd be surprised yellows shift hues they go from pastels to deeper like a yellow might go from this weird pastel easter egg yellow to a straight what we think of yellow yellow to golden hues right so they get a little darker and the same with the reds reds get a little lighter they get a little darker a little more orange a little more slightly a purpley look to them Mm -hmm. and it's crazy yeah so when the 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 agency mike and i are talking about yeah because they use red and so finding, getting a red polo from places for uniform wear is pretty easy or red t-shirts, but finding red rain jackets, insulating layers, et cetera, can be quite challenging. So something to consider when you're outfitting a team or yourself, depending on what you do. Like if you are assigned to a search and rescue team, a volunteer paid and it's like, hey, here's the stuff. These are the allowed colorways you can have for whatever apparel. If you find good stuff that you like, you might want to consider buying couple of spares within reason i know obviously if you're spending good money on things like getting that one arcteryx raincoat at 800 bucks and beating two or three of them just as a couple of backups is not feasible for yeah, the vast majority of us right especially so. if you're married because eventually your wife's going to say what why do you have like three of the same thing dude yeah my wife knows i have a problem but so that, that's something to consider as well just i know it's kind of a minor issue but it's a problem and it's a problem mike and i are going to run into now that the leaf line is essentially cut off when we need to replace some items. Yeah. Uh, finding as good of an item in the same colorway is going to be a little more challenging. It's going to be um, some work. I, I've been experimenting and buying a lot of kit in our off season here. Um, yeah. 
but I'll, I'll be showing you here in a couple of weeks going? when we go. <laughs> yeah, my wife got again one of those. Oh my god, is that more stuff? What? Yeah. How yeah. many of those do you have? Just one of this. I'm so glad I I work from home for the day job, and she does not. The packages oh, yeah. that show up are. Yeah, no, yeah. she knows. Wow, so. I shouldn't admit right now on this podcast publicly that I hide <laughs> packages from my wife, but occasionally, you know. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, so base layers. Um, yeah. Synthetic for the win. We love Arcteryx. I actually love OR for yeah. base layers. I love Arcteryx for base layers. REI makes good base layers. I don't know. There's a bunch of them out there. Oh, but yeah. But you need them. Even when it's warm out, you need them. Yeah. It's a necessity. Yeah. And then uh, with that, you have to consider, you know, again, that synthetic. Or do I want to have a lightweight down, you know, like the Patagonia down pullovers, North mm-hmm. Face. I mean, everybody makes one, right? Again, personal choice. Uh, a lot of the down used in backcountry gear now is all got a good treatment on it for water repellency. So it's more. It's not like it was back in the day. Yeah, it's not back in the day where once them feathers got wet, that was it until it was dry. Yeah. Uh, they dry quicker. They, re- they do not retain nearly as much water, but it's something you need to consider. Now, just because somebody's going to ask, but what about pants? Do you guys. Okay. Do you wear pants? Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> Mid layers, Michael. Mid layers or base <laughs> layers of some sort. Yeah. Um, I do not, even in the winter, Mike is a bigger fan of having some even lightweight pants, uh, long john type insulating yep. stuff. He might throw them in his pack for backcountry. And then if we're staying overnight or it's late, he'll throw them on. Yep. I just maintain a thicker layer of body fat so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I keep them around. I do not wear them day to day. I do not wear any long johns. If I do have them, it's usually a thinner layer. I'm not wearing the thick expedition style. Yeah. Uh, but if if we are, there's a particular place that we provide care that's exposed. It's typically above tree line. If it's after dark, we're hanging out all night. <laughs> and the winds come. It's and, yeah. <laughs> and the winds come. I will keep, I keep a pair in my pack pretty much all year round so that if it turns out I end up in a windy environment, I can throw them on under my duty pants just as a windbrock as much yeah. as anything else. I too maintain a healthy layer of body fat. I don't typically get super cold, but I keep them around and and honestly put them on in environments where we're going to be stagnant to avoid convection when yep. on the ground sitting, not avoid, reduce. And uh, as a preemptive layer so that I don't get to the point where I need to rewarm myself, I just throw them on if we know we're going to be there a while. But in general, I probably only do that once or twice a year because quite honestly, if we're doing an extrication, I don't want to be sitting around in long johns for most of the events. I want to be moving down the trail and I do not need to be wearing clothes yeah. that are making me extra hot. So I know Sean gave up on them some time ago. Yeah. I keep them in my pack, but I rarely use them. But they are, I find them useful. Yeah, and that's, well, that's basically where I was going is it's one of those, based on your environment, again, that's going to be the caveat forever, leaving, we'll say from your whatever your staging response area is in them and then beginning your hike with something like long johns and stuff on some environments appropriate for mike and i not so much not so it's much. definitely something once you get on scene you find out you're going to be there for quite a while that something you might want to consider putting in your pack like mike does and have it handy just so you can put them on maintain a little extra warmth and heat and make yourself more comfortable because let's be honest if you as the responder are not comfortable you're going to start to focus a little more inward and your patient care may suffer, right? As you're thinking about, God, it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. I need yep. to get warm, right? You're not focusing on the patient. Whereas if you're warm and happy and comfortable, patient care is a little bit easier. So yes, absolutely. I think that's, that's about as much as we need on those. 
Now, yeah. plus I talked about other stuff in the middle, making this way longer than we expected it to be. No, we're on target, my man. Yeah. So, <laughs> next up, this is one. Mike's a bit of a gear whore when it comes to this section. Uh-huh. Outer layers, right? Hard shells, soft shells. Uh, again, your environment's going to tell you how much and what type you're going to need. Again, Arc'teryx makes some really good stuff in the leaf line. I don't particularly personally own any of the hard shell jackets they make. I probably own one too many. Yeah, Mike owns a couple <laughs> dozen. <laughs> now, okay, doesn't have that many. But And I have my personal reasons why I don't. And one of them for me is, I mean, don't get me wrong, absolutely top-notch kit. But if you're not wearing it, it's a big, bulky item getting put in the, your pack. Not yeah. that that's necessarily a bad thing, but they are, they are designed to be very durable. And we're talking the leaf. And they do have a pro line for like SAR teams. Those jackets are robust. They're well-built. They will last you a very long time if you take care of them. But they are heavy and they do take up space. But if you've got it, man, get all over it. It's, it's a good piece of kit. Yeah. I've, my general guidance on shells, and I like shells, a shell is a multi... It's a multi-purpose piece of kit. A lot of folks that are newer to the game think that a shell is only really useful when there's moisture coming down. Not mm. the case. Shells are some of the best wind blocks once you get where you're going. Oh, yeah. They do a great job of maintaining environmental, you know, keeping you warm, so to speak, without a bunch of bulk. I have since moved away from the more lightweight rain gear, and I will carry the extra weight of a much thicker, bulkier shell. Again, for the same reasons we've discussed around pants, right? You're rubbing it on rocks, you're tearing it up, just kind of is. So most of the manufacturers refer to them as mid or heavyweight shells as opposed to lightweight shells. That's generally the language used. The Arcteryx Leafline is a very nice one. You're basically going to pay a mortgage payment for it. <laughs> Sitka for a little period there last year, and we're recording this in 2023, so in early 2023. Last year, Sitka did a run of military-style things, and they made a very nice jacket. Again, yep. it was a mortgage payment. I bought, well, I'll admit, I bought two of them because we wear gray where we are. And one of my agencies, we wear gray as, an, as a top layer. The other place that I spend time doing EMS is a blue or black top environment. And I like the jacket so much, I bought a black one so that I could wear it on duty at the other house. But they're, they're great. If you're going looking for a good shell, I recommend an expedition grade or... Mm -hmm. If you have the money and the wherewithal and your agency is signed up, the Arcteryx Pro program, they make shells in particular for responders as opposed to recreationalists that are yep. a little more durable, properly placed pockets. I still have they, aspirations of trying one of their yellow ones one of these days. It's like, yeah, and they make them in the, in the SAR colors that in we also colors. find so hard to find. Yep. So they make great kit as well. Again, OR, you can hit REI. I can't even think of all the name brands nah. that I'm heading in, but... My recommendation is don't just get a rain shell, get a more durable. I mean, if you're just shopping at the outdoor store, you're you're going to be looking at something more like an expedition sort of like I would be wearing this on Mount Rainier sort of rain jacket. Not mm -hmm. a, uh, I'm going backpacking for the weekend and it might rain a little bit and I need some moisture protection. The durability is key in that department, especially if you end up like I do. I've used it as a ground cover. I've used it to put under patients. Unless they're bleeding. If they're bleeding, they don't get my kit. Um, <laughs> it's waterproof. It'll rinse right off, man. Yeah, whatever. So something more durable. And I, I think I've mentioned the durability thing about 18 times now. So make sure it's durable. <laughs> now, see, Sean has gone the opposite direction. Once my last heavier weight jacket, I've had it for a very long time. It was an issued piece of kit. It was beautiful. 
but you know, the, the seams, the seam sealer and some of the lamination started to go on it. It was worn out. And when I went to go replace it, I did a lot of back and forth debating and I've gone the opposite of Mike and I've gone back towards the lighter weight stuff. Hmm. Um, so I'm vacillating again. I'm probably going to end up buying another heavier weight jacket for my backcountry use because the points Mike brought up are, are absolutely valid. But right now I have, I think it's the Marmot Precip line jackets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can pick those up dirt cheap, which is a benefit. Like if you need a good raincoat on the cheap, I mean, you can find those for 50 bucks or less, depending on where you're at. They come in a huge array of colors. I've got gray ones. I've got yellow ones. I have a red one, right? I've got all kinds of colors. The one, and they breathe pretty decent, pit zips, right? A hood, stashes in a collar, meets a lot of my criteria. I hate hoods that just hang out as hoods all the time, especially in the rain, because if I don't want to wear the hood, it becomes a water collection point, which irritates me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is what it is, right? I definitely have that same hatred. But the issue with like, fortunately, I don't have to wear it a lot. And because we work in the mid-Atlantic, where even if it's raining out, chances are there's going to be a lot of humidity involved with it as well. So the debate becomes, do I want to sweat with this raincoat on or do I just want to get wet from the rain? Personal choice. But I will say like the marmot shells, great raincoat, keep you dry, but it's not going to be nearly as durable as the heavier weight jackets. The only caveat to that is if I brush up on the rocks and I tear a hole in it, I can slap a little duct tape on it, get myself out of the woods for that event. And then it's not so expensive that I can't just go buy another one. Now, well, one day they like, oh, they don't make my yellow again. Damn it. Right. And I have to figure something else out. Yeah, maybe. But it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's a jacket that can be balled up the size of an Algene bottle or smaller. Provides a lot of the same, you know, it's, it's rainproof, it's windproof. And Mike brought up a good point. Like you put that on top of a lightweight insulating layer and it'll help keep you that much warmer, even if it's not raining, right? Uh, we had a couple of years ago now, one of the nights we spent up on top of the mountain with a patient, it got down to around freezing, somewhere between 30, 34. We'll just call it an even 32. It was cold. And we, yeah, and we threw on. We, we packed because we knew we were most likely going to be staying the night when we left. So we packed a couple of extra warming layers with us, but those went on and then slowly the next one comes on and then you put on your rain chill over the top and then you're pretty toasty. And we were relatively comfortable throughout the night. Uh, so it's not just for rain, right? There's a lot of good purposes with it. So something to consider. Like I said, I, I went the opposite route. I'm probably going to go back to a heavier weight jacket probably this year. Uh, we'll see where it goes. That's really about it for that. Next thing we're just going to touch on briefly are like soft shells, things that provide some water resistance, a little light wind protection. <laughs> you want to talk about a place where I can spend some money, son. Yeah. So yeah. I've got a couple that I like. I have a good, I think Marmot makes it lightweight one that makes you throw that on top of some of the other insulating layers we have. Same thing. It's like it instantly makes you feel a little bit warmer. I can throw that on top of just like the combat shirt or a t-shirt and hike with it. If I just, if it's one of those just misting light moisture kind of mornings or evenings, it's an excellent layer, good multi-purpose kit. It's the one piece that always lives in my pack, like all year round. It's definitely with me because even in the summer months, we stop somewhere, drop the pack, starting to chill, cool down. I might take the combat shirt off to let it dry on its own. I can throw that lightweight soft shell on top and it'll help dry my underneath my t-shirt, keep me a little warmer and makes me a little more comfortable when I'm doing my work. So they're out there. There are some heavier weight soft shells that are heavy and bulky because they're usually fleece-based, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If, if it works for you, by all means, I've got one that I'm going to play with, but it's really more going to be for front country, just wearing around. Uh, you got to weigh the pros and cons of weight and size and 
things like that. Yeah, I'm. There's a hybrid that came out, or a hybrid model that came out, what seven eight years ago, that has a synthetic inner layer. What are they, the Arcteryx? Oh, the Superlights. Uh, I can't think of the name of them right now. It'll it'll come to me. Atom, the Atom line, in the commercial, yeah. they're light, they're efficient. I actually went super dork, and I actually have two of them, so I can wear the non hooded version. And then if it gets extra chilly, I will throw the hooded version on top. That allows me two layers of comfort, but I get the flexibility of taking off one or both of them, depending on level of exertion and the temperature outside. I just size them appropriately so I can wear them together. And then if I need a hood, I have a hood. If it's, if it's a little warmer or I'm starting to exert myself, I can take one off. We're all fine. I'm not suggesting everyone need to do that. Um, <laughs> it is a great way to light money on fire. Yeah, uh, their their vests are also great, but it, there's a lot of different brands out there again that make a synthetic, lightweight fleece with a just a nylon outside that yep. is is good for uh, light moisture protection where you don't necessarily have to put a shell on. That's kind of my go-to. Sean wears a bit more of the fleeciness in general. We both are a big fan of uh, the half zip fleece shirts. Like we're yeah. both kind of. I think this might be a full zip, but. You get the point. We're fans of of lighter weights and multiple layers because of the nature of the work where you stop and then you go and then you stop and then you go as opposed to I'm not a huge fan unless I know it's really cold out or I'm going up on top of a place above tree line and it's super windy. I'm going to leave the heavy stuff here. Yep. I'm going to leave the heavy stuff behind. Not Not so much because of weight. There's some really great lightweight stuff out there, but it's a bulk problem and i've still got to carry all the medical equipment and possibly stuff that's going to keep me comfortable overnight in a stove and 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 it's just it's a lot of space in a pack and i'm not we'll talk about this later but i'm not a huge fan of strapping and lashing things to the outside of my backpack and making it a teenage mutant ninja turtle looking like floppy thing with a walking hanging all over the place so i go with the lighter weight fleece uh if i can find them with a with a shell on them i prefer that model but you know to each their own all right. Uh, I think that pretty much covers our, our outer shell layers. So really, we're going to just talk, and we've covered all of these already, but just real briefly, principles to consider, you know, when you're evaluating and selecting your gear for backcountry use, right? So it needs to be appropriate, right? Does it do what you need it to do for that specific task, right? Whether that's rain protection or insulation. Durability, right? We've mentioned that several times. Will it stand up to the abuse it may see? You know, are you going to get your money's worth? Am I worried about ripping a hole in the sleeve of my lighter weight rain shell? I, I am, honestly. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. I know that's going to. Fact. It will happen. It absolutely You're gonna do it will it. happen. I'm going to tear a sleeve and I'm going to have to buy a new jacket. Will I have gotten my money's worth out of it before then? Well, I've been carrying the same jacket for a couple of years now, so I'm going to say yes. But you might do that on the very first time you buy that jacket and take it out into the woods. So, well, you've gotten your money's worth. It's like, ooh, well, probably not. So you got to make sure your money, the investment you make needs to be worth it. Third on my list ties right into that. And is it affordable, right? Not everybody makes a whole boatload of money or has an agency that is willing to spend a boatload of money on good gear. I'll tell you the primary agency Mike and I support for a lot of our backcountry work. The first couple of times we were going into the backcountry at night to overnight with patients, the government-sponsored paid professionals had absolute shit cold weather equipment. Mm-hmm. And it was a shame. And we, he and I were the only two who were legitimately prepared to spend time overnight in a cold weather bad environment, which is how we ended up being, I won't say we volunteered completely. It was a borderline. More of a voluntold thing. 
Yeah, I was right on the voluntold, like, hey, you guys got the kit. Would you please do this for us? And we were like, of course, we got this. Yeah, we got this. But you're geared. I got to believe that agencies that are in alpine environments uh, that are above tree line in general, they tend to be more well-equipped. But the reality is that agencies that don't do this on a regular basis, it's very hard to just, I mean, if you're going to outfit a provider with all of the appropriate equipment from a pool of money, you're looking at 12 15, $1,800. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, you could spend upwards of $2,000 easily yeah. and quickly. Easily and quickly. And that's a hard pill to swallow if you're only doing this two or three times a year or once or twice a year. Yeah. It's a lot easier to spend that money if it's going to be used every day, every week. But when you have to do it, uh, when the equipment is needed, it's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no better way to make sure that, that uh, you end up hypothermic yourself than to be under-equipped or not ready for the environment and the amount of time you're going to spend in it. So in our opinion, it is worth the money, but I can appreciate where it can be very hard to find the funding or justify the expense when yep. it turns out the equipment is not used very often. And, and, and tied right in with that is, yep, you can pick up one of those marmot raincoats. Like, like I said, you can find them all the time for $50 or less. You can get them really cheap on sale sometimes, right? My REI dividend, I can get them for free every year. And that's, I spend too much money at REI, I know, mm-hmm. right? but are you going to be too cheap with your gear, right? There's a difference between spending a little bit less on a piece of kit that is a very one-off thing. Like you may or may not ever get around to using it. Like if you're just looking for a fleece jacket, a general purpose fleece jacket. Yeah. Those you can buy lower cost options across the board from a number of manufacturers, or do you need it to be, have a, a durable water repellent finish? Does it need to have a wind pro finish? Does it need to be meet certain other criteria? If that's the case, then yeah, you're going to have to spend a little bit more money on it. Save money where you can, but you need to invest in good quality gear. You really do. Let's put it this way. You should be buying as good a quality gear as you can afford or your agency can afford, right? And it's kind of goes back to the anybody who's ever tried to buy anything expensive for their passions and hobbies, the buy once, cry once mentality. Meaning, yeah, I spent $800 on this amazing, beautiful, hard shell rain jacket but I know it's going to work. I know it's going to last if I take care of it and it's worth the investment. I spent $30 on this vinyl raincoat I got out of the local big box store and it's horrible. It doesn't breathe. It's borderline rainproof just because it's got little holes and tears in it all over the place and it's not durable for anything. So you got to weigh those, the pros and cons, the cost benefit analysis, if you will. Like, is it worth it? It is. Do I have the money to do it? I do. I should probably do it, right? Yep. It is what it is. Any other thoughts, Michael? Now, obviously, throughout this conversation, it's become pretty clear that I am the buy once, cry once sort of guy. Then I buy again because I want to try something new. I could probably retire early if I hadn't bought as much kit. But it turns out this is what I do, right? And I want to be, I want to be properly equipped for it. That is not to say that you have to go spend a mint on equipment. We've like, the podcast we did with David Pfeiffer, he mentioned, you know, basically they light money on fire trying to find the right solution. The reality is there's no one perfect piece of kit that's going to solve all of your, your ills. Yeah. Experiment. Sean and I work together all the time and we have different approaches to the same problem space. <laughs> I prefer one piece of kit. He prefers something different. He is really good at buying backpacks, like really good <laughs> at it. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about those later, but he's... I he buy is, backpacks like Mike buys raincoats. Yeah, he's he's... I mean, I have found a couple of backpacks that we'll talk about that I generally like, but I'm actually in the market again 
it is to the point now where my spouse is reminding me that I need to clean out all of the old stuff I have that I don't use anymore, which yeah. is probably a valid argument. I should probably be doing that. Yeah. I think I've got eight sitting in a pile right now that I need to uh, dispose of. But I, I, I'll just say it. Bop on over to Dick's Sporting Goods or Walmart and buying their outdoor equipment, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed. For those with experience in the backcountry space, for anybody that's been in the woods, you know the brands we're talking about. You, you've done the shopping. You've been on backcountry.com looking for discounts <laughs> and deals because it's all spendy. We're a big fan in general for uniform and, and day-to-day attire. We're a big fan of more public service-related apparel, even for volunteer SAR teams. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the sun shirts and the, the stuff you can get at the REI, like they're okay. But the durability is not what we need it to be. We've moved more toward, again, brands we've mentioned, 511, First Tactical, Arcteryx. We prefer the more durable stuff. But, and, and here's just the running joke with Sean and I, if you show up looking tactical, you're probably going to get laughed at a little bit. It just happens, right? Everyone... Kind of knows the guy we're talking about that shows up in the woods in a bunch of ACU or, or multicam, like looking to save lives and kick ass. And from a professional standpoint, I would shy away from that. That's for SWAT teams and military operators. That is not for, hi, I'm here to help. Yeah. Um, final thought here. I actually read a thing the other day. Uh, there was a study. All they did is took people in various pieces of attire and put a stethoscope around their neck. And the amount of trust that a patient has in someone that looks like they are here to help, looks like they're relatively clean and put together and squared away, it's actually really surprising. The amount of faith and comfort you can produce in a patient that is in need if you show up looking like you know what you're doing, as opposed to showing up and looking like you're kind of disheveled. So that's why we've leaned toward more public service-esque apparel, embroidered things, names on the shirt. We actually use some patches. I can talk about this on another episode, but I get custom patches made for us that indicate name, level of provider, et cetera. And that's, that's always on the outside of whatever we're wearing to make sure that people understand that we're here in a professional capacity. We're not just, we're not a passerby. So yeah, I, it is really easy to spend all the money in the world on this stuff. Yeah, yeah um, super easy. Holy cow. But do your research, engage with us. If you're looking for feedback on particular kit, things we've done, things we haven't done between Sean and I, uh, we've got almost, well, between Sean and I in our entire lives, we've got, what, 60, 70 years of experience trying things and making oh, things and trying God. to do stuff like you've yeah. been making custom kit forever. Yeah. So I think the pursuit is never something that is completely over with, but we've, we've worked ourselves into a pretty good state where we kind of know what the, the right stuff is for the problem. So we're happy to help any team or any individual that's trying to outfit. Shoot us a note with your mission and your general environment, and we can point you to some things. Yeah. All right. I think that about wraps up episode one of the stuff we carry. Yeah, man. Sounds good. See ya. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMS OTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode. Thanks for joining us, and until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.